Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. If you want to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28. This morning we're looking at verses 18 through 20. And if you're familiar with the gospel of Jesus Christ, surely you've heard these verses before. It's called the Great Commission. Um, and so we're going to look at this in the context of this is for us is we're looking at the values of Mercy Hill Church. What makes Mercy Hill Church Mercy Hill Church? One of those values is to make disciples. And we're going to dig into that and what that means in a little bit. But let's begin by looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so as we read in, this, in these verses this command to go and make disciples. Now one of the things that I wrestle with as I read this is I think in my own life, am I making disciples? I was talking to a, a, a relative of mine not so long ago and we were talking about this idea of going and making disciples and what exactly does that mean? And his conclusion was this. He said, look, it is... It is up to the, the, the pastor, it's up to the person in charge, really, to make the disciples, and everyone else is to kind of bring people to that one person to go make the disciples. And I said, I can't, I can't disagree with you more. I completely, that is, I don't understand this verse to, being said that. This verse is saying so much more than just, okay, there's one guy who's going to do all the work, and everyone else kind of come along and just bring it to this guy, and he'll do it. That's not what these verses are saying. He's talking to the disciples as disciples. Not just as apostles, not just as church leaders, but as disciples. And so discipleship is this, is this idea that we come alongside people. Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. I, have a, I had an uncle who was, he was a bit of an odd guy, um, very interesting guy. He was an electrician. He was a plumber. He was an HVAC guy. He was an engineer. He was a welder. He could do anything. The guy, he was an airplane pilot. He owned his own airplane. He did all these things. And so he would come over to my house when he first bought our home, and he would help me do some of the electrical work. And so as we would do the electrical work, I'd, I would help him. And, I, and eventually it came to the point, so like, I need to learn how to do this because if there's ever a point when you're not around... I need to be able to do the electrical work. And so he sits down as, as, as we're changing out a socket or something. He starts talking, okay, electricity runs in a circuit, and you have to, and he starts going on and on and on. And I have no clue what he's saying. So I'm sitting there listening, and I'm like, look, I don't have a clue what you just said. And he looks at me, and in all sincerity, he says, look, Johnny, it's just easier if I do the work, Okay. He wasn't being mean, he wasn't being nasty, but he was just being honest. Look, it, we could, this job can take 30 minutes or it can take two minutes. 
I want to get home, so let's just do this in two minutes, okay? So you just hand me the flashlight, and then I'll finish the job here, okay? That's the exact opposite of discipleship, okay? I I didn't learn anything. I didn't do any work. I just kind of hung around, and the guy who knew what he was doing did all the work, and I just watched. I learned nothing from it. This idea of discipleship is one that we, we walk alongside people, that we come together with people and we, we enjoy fellowship together, that we would strengthen one another and encourage one another. There's all these things that the Bible talks about, but as we see the life of Jesus Christ, the way that he discipled his disciples was one in which he spent time, he spent energy, he, spent, he gave to them his life, he gave to them his ideas and his thoughts. He shared with them food and, and hardship and trips and, and all these things. He was walking alongside with these men for three years. And he said, those are my disciples. They walked alongside Jesus Christ. He didn't tell the disciples, hey guys, look, just hand me the flashlight when I need it and I'll do all the work. No, they were partnering with Jesus in this. He would send them out, they'd come back, they'd rejoice, he'd send them out again, they'd come back. They were partnering with Jesus in ministry. It was discipleship. Now, we're going to look at a few aspects of discipleship, but I first want to just look at this aspect, is the call of the gospel. We sang a lot this morning, wonderfully, about the good news of Jesus Christ and all that it means for us. That Jesus Christ has saved and redeemed a people for himself. That he meets us right where we're at, no matter what sins we've committed, no matter the things we've done, the places we've been, the things that we've seen. Jesus Christ meets us right where we are at. And he says, believe in me, trust in me. Ask me for forgiveness. Surrender your lives to me. And I'll give you eternal life. And Jesus Christ does that. We sang the song, we get his righteousness. We are declared right before Almighty God because of what Jesus Christ has done in his life, in his death and resurrection. It's because of Jesus Christ. Now, what that means for us is this, that not only do we enjoy the, the gift of eternal life and the gift of relationship with Jesus Christ because of the gospel, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, also brings us into community. Jesus Christ calls us into a family. We're not left to ourselves on our own. How tragic that would be for us to give our lives to Jesus Christ. And he says, okay, great. You go over here by yourself, hang out by yourself, do your own thing, and just kind of wait till you die to come be with me. Jesus Christ in the gospel brings us into a family. The kingdom of God, he brings us into his family. That you and I are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Last year, I had the opportunity to go to Africa. And here I am in, in Africa. It's hot. It's, the time is, is completely different. We're exhausted. And we're gathered together around God's Word with these, these men and women who have traveled from all over the country to, to learn about God's Word. And the beautiful thing is, I don't, I've never met some of these brothers and sisters before ever. And I love them to death. It's because they're my family. Because they are my brothers and sisters. That in Jesus Christ, he takes us from from every tribe and nation and, and language and people, and he brings us together under one family. 
that we're not disjointed, we're not separated, we're not apart from anybody. He brings us into this family and calls us brothers and sisters. And the beautiful thing is, is we're gathered together under God's word. Man, it's a time of rejoicing, and it's of celebration, and it's of laboring together in his word. And we leave there knowing, I will probably never see you again, but one day I will. It won't be on this earth, but it'll be in heaven. We'll be gathered around God's throne again, worshiping, calling out to God. That is our family. God does the same thing in the gospel. He brings us together as one family, calls us the church. And as, as you know, the church isn't a building, right? We, the church meets in a building, and for just the, the culture that we live in, we say we go to church. But Jesus Christ didn't give his life for buildings, Jesus Christ isn't passionate about architecture. He's not passionate for buildings and bricks and windows. He's not passionate about those things. He's passionate about his people, the church. So in the scriptures, we talk about the church. We have to understand that he's not talking about buildings. He's talking about a people, people for himself, people that he's brought together in his family, brothers and sisters together. And so as we talk about this call of the gospel, It's the work of the Holy Spirit that makes all these things possible. As we talk about surrendering our lives, walking in community, living our lives before one another, it is not possible in our own strength. We can try as we may, we can do all the right things, but in the end, without the work of the Holy Spirit that is deposited into us because of the gospel, because of the good news, because Jesus Christ has has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, it makes all these things possible. You may be sitting here today and you've tried to be a good person. You've tried to go to church. You've tried to do all the right things. You've tried to get your life back on track again, but somehow it just continues to fall short. It's because we need the Holy Spirit inside of us. God doesn't say, look, clean your lives up, then come to me, and then I'll help you. He says, no, 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 you can't clean your lives up. That's, that's God's job to clean our lives up, to help us with that. We come to God where we are. In our failure, in our mess, in our sin, God meets us right where we are at. Deposits the Holy Spirit within us and gives us strength and new life to follow after Him in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we read the passages of scriptures, we read through the gospels and in the book of Acts, there's this gospel call that continues to go forth. And so we see in the, in the beginning of the book of Acts, all the believers are gathered together in this upper room, praying together. The Holy Spirit comes upon them like a mighty, mighty wind falling upon them. They speak in different tongues. They go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to thousands of people. People's lives get, get changed and, and changed forever. And then from there, the gospel continues to go forth into all the rest of the world. And we are a result of that upper room time in the, in, in the book of Acts where the believers went forth and began to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We sit here today because someone along the line followed through and brought the good news to somebody else and to somebody else and to somebody else. And here we sit in Munster, Indiana today because of the result of what God began to do in that upper room in, Acts, in the beginning of the book of Acts. It's a beautiful thing. But this is what Jesus Christ does. It's a call, though, that is not an easy call. 
It is not a call to come follow Jesus and your life will get so much easier and you'll get better parking spots at the mall and you'll have more money and you'll never get sick again. That's not the call of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus tells his disciples about what is going to happen to them and to him in the coming months and years, he says, look, when you come follow after me, he says, take up your cross daily and follow after me. It is a hardship. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Where is Jesus Christ going? He's going to his death. He says, come follow me to my death. So there's the call of the gospel, but the call of discipleship and the call of the gospel comes with a cost. It comes with a cost. Eleven and a half years ago, I had the privilege of standing before uh, a church at Living Word Church in Lansing, Illinois, and making covenant vows with Michelle to become my wife. It was a beautiful thing. It was a wonderful thing. But the cost of saying yes to Michelle meant that I had to say no to anyone or anything that would ever compete for my love or affection for her. That for the rest of my life, if anything were to compete for my love and my affection towards my wife, that I had to say no to that. There's no way. I'm, I'm, forget about it. My love for her and my commitment to her meant saying no to everything else, which came with a cost. It means I don't get to do whatever I want to do. I can't see whoever I, I just feel like seeing. There's a love and a commitment to Michelle that we made to one another that is exclusive. There's nothing else gets in the way of that love and commitment. In the same way, following after Jesus Christ means that anything that would compete for our love and affection for him that we say no to. It's a relationship that is exclusive. Let me read to you out of Luke chapter 9. This is continuing on. Jesus Christ again is speaking to his disciples in Luke chapter 9. And this is what we read. Verse 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Look, I know you think it's great seeing Jesus do all these miracles and have all his influence and speak these incredible words of wisdom. And this guy probably saw Jesus doing all these things and said, man, I want to attach myself to this guy. He's going places. He's going to do some amazing things. And I can be within his inner circle, man. I'll sign me up for that. Jesus says, hey, look, pal, just so you know, I'm homeless and I'm penniless. And if you think this is the way that you need to go to become rich and famous and powerful, you're, you're following the wrong guy. That's not where I'm going. Continuing on, it says, another said, he's, to another he said, Jesus said this, follow me. But this guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And here this guy says to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And he says, look, I've got to go bury my dad. He just died. In Jewish, in Jewish times at this point, they didn't do all kinds of embalming services and have the, you know, awake for the dead a week later. This was the same day that you died. You had to get buried before sunset. And so this just happened. Now, if you're at work and you go to your boss and say, hey, my father just passed away. I need to go 
attend the funeral. Nobody in their right mind says, you know what, you've got to, I'm sorry, you're on the schedule. You've got to work today. Everyone understands that this, this loyalty to your family supersedes your loyalty to work. Everybody understands that. But Jesus Christ in this time is saying, look, even your loyalty to your family pales in comparison to your loyalty to Jesus Christ. That this, this call, this commitment to follow Jesus Christ as his disciple takes precedence over everything else. Even the most loyal ties of family fall away, not that they disappear, but that Jesus Christ becomes all in all to us. That he becomes the thing in our lives that we follow. Third, we read this. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. What do you think Jesus is going to say to this guy? Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Following Jesus Christ demands everything. It comes at a cost. It demands everything. When we come to Jesus Christ in faith, and we're knit into his family, he doesn't say, okay, look, you can, just, you can just give me a little piece of your life. Just give me 30 minutes or an hour and a half on Sunday morning, and you'll be good to go. Jesus says, no, when you come to me in faith, believing that I am all in all, we, we surrender everything to Jesus Christ. There's nothing off limits for Jesus Christ. We talk about this missions trip to India, this trip to India is going to be probably two weeks. It's going to be unbelievably expensive. It's going to be really, really, really hot. It's going to be stinky. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be difficult. And some of you in here, God is calling to go on this hot, stinky, dirty trip. And already in your mind, you're beginning to develop an idea of why I can't go. I can't go. I can't get that much time off work. I don't have the money to go. I Surely I don't want to use up all my vacation time because we want to take a different vacation that summer. Already there's, there's a bit of an argument in your mind with God saying why you should not go, why it would not make any sense for anyone to go on this trip. God is calling some in this church to go on this trip. God is calling some to go on this trip. I don't know who you are, but God does. Maybe he's calling me to go on this show. I'm still wrestling with this too. I don't like being hot, okay? It's going to be like 100 degrees every day in India. At least 100 degrees. That to me just sounds like torture. So I'm wrestling with, I don't, God, I don't know if you're calling me to go on this, but I don't want to go, just so you know. But yet, this call to follow Jesus Christ supersedes what I think I want to do. It supersedes what I think my boss will do. It supersedes what the way that I want to spend my money. Look, I don't want to spend a few thousand dollars to go to India. It would be much better for me to go on a trip to Disney World with my family. That would be much, much more enjoyable. It won't it'd probably be just as hot, but at least we'll be at Disney World and everything will be great. We don't have the option of telling God no. When we come to Jesus Christ as his disciples, we surrender everything. Our vacation, our money, our time, our energy, our comforts. That is surrender to Jesus Christ. And I just wonder if God isn't calling some of us to this, mission, this missions trip to India 
that we've got to wrestle through these things and continue to ask God, God, would you have me to go? Some of us don't even have to ask because we feel like, well, surely he's not asking me to go. I want us to ask. I want us to ask. Or the trips to Bolivia. These trips to Bolivia won't won't be easy either. There's all different needs in these churches that we want to be able to be a part of. But it means the cost of following Jesus Christ means that no matter what Jesus Christ asks us to go, asks us to do, that we say yes to him. We surrender our lives to him. And you know what? Here's the deal. In light of eternity, in light of even our lifetime, the cost that we, the cost that we think we're having to, to pay or forego of these other things is nothing. When I look back at saying yes to Michelle on that day, March 1st, 2003, that day that we, I said yes to her and said no to everything else, the, the cost was nothing. The cost was nothing. In the same way for us to say yes to Jesus Christ, we may think, man, it's so much work and it's so much money, it's so much time. In light of eternity, it's very little. And one day we'll be there and we'll say, God, it was nothing for me to say yes to you. It was the reward of my life that I could follow after you with all my heart. So I want us just to see this because as we talk about making disciples as a church, we first have to gauge and say, am I a disciple first? I can't bring someone to places I've never been. I can't disciple someone if I myself am not a disciple first. So that's the first thing for us to decide. We have the call. We recognize the cost. And then thirdly, we have this. We have community. I remember there was a time when I got into a disagreement with another one of the pastors, and it wasn't my brother, um, but it was a disagreement. We've had, my brother and I have had plenty of those, but this wasn't one of those times, and I needed to go ask forgiveness of this person, and I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to humble myself. I didn't want to admit I was wrong. I didn't want to just, to, to to do these things because I didn't feel like it. I didn't want to. And John Lightsell came to me and said this. He said, John, you, by refusing to ask for forgiveness, are stopping the flow of God's grace in your life and into this network of churches, really. You need to make this thing right. Now, left to myself, I may have never gone and repented and made things right. I may have remained in my own ignorance, in my own pride, left myself. It was because another brother loved me enough to call me out on my sin, to call me out on my foolishness, to call me out on my pride. We're not left to ourselves. We are brought into community. That's the beautiful thing of God's word. He brings us into a place of family where we can help one another, encourage one another, love one another. And so with discipleship, there's two necessary ingredients. The first one's this. It's God's Word. Larry did a great job. Um, Brian did a great job talking about God's Word last week. So we're not going to talk about that too much. But God's Word and community are the two things that are necessary for discipleship. It's like baking a cake. There's all different sizes of cake, colors, flavors, occasions of cake. 
But there's two basic ingredients of cake. There's sugar, which makes everything taste better. And then I think there's flour, I'm guessing, right? Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure that laughter means yes, that flour is one of the necessary ingredients for cake. So think of community in God's word like sugar and flour, okay? You got it? You can have all different kinds of cake, and you can have a bunch of other different flavors and stuff, but you've got to have these two basic ingredients, sugar and flour. It's like that for God's word. For discipleship, we have God's word and community, these two basic ingredients. Now, the content of our discipleship, the content of what does it mean for us, what do we talk about, what are the things that are shaping us, it's God's word. That's the content. But the context of where that's worked out is in community. Community is the place where we take God's word and begin to live it out before one another and with one another. Community is the place where God's word begins to, in a sense, take on flesh. It begins to become real. It's not just this idea in a book that we read about or something we journal about, but the way in which we live our lives is in the context of community where these these holy words are taken and, and birthed into us by the Holy Spirit and begin to be lived out before one another. It happens in community. So the content or substance of discipleship is God's word, but the context for this is in community. In the New Testament alone, there's about 60 one another statements. Be kind to one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, love one another. There's these statements all over the New Testament. These things can only be lived out in community. There is no Lone Ranger Christians. They don't exist. God has not created us to be Lone Rangers. God has created us for community. So, as we begin the story, as we begin the story, we're going to all together begin God's Word, Genesis 1, chapter 1. We're going to read through the Scriptures together in these next nine months or so. If you've never read the Bible from cover to cover, this will be a perfect opportunity for you to get a handle on God's Word and what it says. It's written in chronological way. It's a way in which we all get in God's Word together. But this also provides for us the real meat of our small groups together. And so in small groups, we're going to gather together in groups of three or four families over a meal every other week, and we're going to begin to talk about God's Word together. And so for some of us who maybe are unfamiliar with the Old Testament and even the New Testament, have never read through some of these stories, this will be a great place for us to begin to learn and unpack God's Word for our lives and see, like Larry said earlier, that the Bible isn't just these disjointed stories. It's one story that, that God is telling. We're going to see how the whole thing fits together. So going back to community, though, this, I get sidetracked, but going back to community, this is where the small groups take place. We're together in small groups. We're going we're to dive into God's Word and see what God's Word has for us. All right, so we've got the call, we've got the cost, we've got community, and lastly this, we've got a commission. I don't know if any of you have ever gone charter boat fishing before. It's, charter boat fishing is a blast, right? So uh, we went charter boat fishing in June, and when you go charter boat fishing, you don't do really for yourself, you don't do any of the things associated with fishing. You're sure you're on a boat, and there's, there's rods and reels, and there's fishing line, and there's bait, and the whole deal is you've got all the stuff necessary for fishing, but all you really do is when the, when the, when the fish takes, takes the, the bait, 
you grab the pole and you reel the thing in. And then once it gets close to the boat, the, fish, the, the captain of the boat takes the net, gets the fish in. They, they put it in. You, you could go fishing without ever touching a fish. So it's not really fishing, okay? We call it charter boat fishing. It's more like charter boat watching, all right? So you could go fishing and never touch a fish. You can just be apart. You can be on the, on the boat, but you're not doing much. The fish, you, the, the rods and reels aren't yours. The boat's not yours. You're with the captain you've never met before. At the end of the day, the captain gets the, the, the cooler full of fish. He guts and cleans the fish for you, hands you a bag of fish, and you walk home thinking, wow, I just did a lot of fishing today. But really, we did nothing. When we talk about discipleship and making disciples, it's not like charter boat fishing. It's not like there's the guy in the boat who knows everything and everyone else is just kind of sitting around oblivious and we, want, we hope to participate in discipleship. God's calling each one of us to participate. Discipleship is an, is an activity in which we don't stand on the sidelines. Discipleship is not charter boat fishing for us. The command in Matthew 28 to go make disciples wasn't just for the apostles or just for the church leaders. It was for everybody. And so often I think, well, I have nothing to bring. I've got nothing. I don't know what I could bring. I, I mean, I, I know very little about Scripture. I, I'm not quite sure how to even share that with people. I was thinking about this this week and praying about it. And just what came to mind is this passage in John chapter 6 where there's 5,000 people on a hillside and everyone's starving. And they have no food to feed 5,000 people. But there's this little boy who's got five loaves and two fish. Five loaves of small loaves of bread and two fish. And he comes and he brings it before Jesus. And Jesus multiplies the food and has plenty of food for everyone to enjoy. And there's baskets full of food left over at the end. Miraculously multiplied the bread and the fish. When I think about my own ministry here at Mercy Hill Church, I haven't lived very long. We don't have grown children. We haven't been years and years and years of of pastoral counseling and and all these things. All that we have to offer is God's Word. When we think about our own life experiences and all these things, what we have to offer to one another is God's Word. Because God takes that Word and He multiplies it. Just like He multiplied the fish and the bread. God can take what little we have and we bring to Him and say, God, here's what I have. I want to share with someone what I've read in the scripture this week. I want to encourage someone with your word. I've, you know, maybe you've, you're reading through the Bible and God puts a verse in your heart for somebody. You bring that to them. God takes that and multiplies that. God can use that to, to bless and encourage and strengthen his people through the very little that we bring to him. I want to encourage us today. Even if we feel like we've got nothing to bring to the table, we have God's word. We have God's precious word that directs our steps. That's why it's so important for us, because it is the very thing that directs and orders our steps. I want to finish by bringing our attention back to the Matthew 28 passage, the Great Commission, and we'll pass out communion together. It's a command to be obeyed, not a suggestion. And so as we think about this call to make disciples, we're moving in that direction. I feel like I've got a lot to learn. I feel like as a church, we've got a lot to learn together. But we're moving in that direction. 
that it would be the joy of my heart to see us be a people of God, a church who's been equipped and trained and able then to come alongside other people and help them in their journey to follow Jesus Christ. That is my heart's desire for us. That's my heart's desire for my own life as well. And I think as we dig into the story together, as we get, gather together in small groups, which will be starting mid-September, we're going we're gonna to kind of divide people up into different small groups throughout the church. As we begin to do that, we're going to begin to move closer to this sharing of life together in community, sharing God's word together, digging deeper, growing in our faith to know and love Jesus Christ even more. I want to say this. If we, we hear this and we think, man, I've failed so many times. I have no idea what I'm doing. We know Jesus Christ, the great discipler. He has discipled perfectly. He is the one who knows exactly what we need to do. He is the one who's obeyed completely. So even in our failures to be able to obey this command to disciple people, we've got one who's completely obeyed this command for us. That even in our failure, we can come to Jesus Christ receive forgiveness and mercy and grace and the strength to continue on in obedience. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord, that you bring us alongside, that you equip us for the work that you've set out for us, that you don't leave us as spectators in your kingdom, but you've called us forth to walk in obedience to you as your children, part of your family. And so, Jesus, we want to say thank you. And Lord, I pray today that as we as a church move forward in this idea of discipleship and as we grow in our faith and in our love for you and your word, God, I pray that you would just give us grace. Lord, I pray that we would continue to walk in your ways with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.